What is up, team? Welcome back to the show. Today, it is Coach Andrea and I once again for another Q&A. Andrea, how has your week been? My week has been really good. For anyone who's cared about the whole saga of everyone here being sick for the last three months, we are finally on the fourth day of no one here being sick. So it's been really nice. Stress has been lower. Um, just everything has gone smoother this week, which is super nice. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. Yeah. It seems like you guys have been sick for a very long time. There. Yeah. I think every parent, well, re- really everybody this year, I feel like can relate, but parents, especially just because kids just pick up everything at school or daycare and bring it home, but it's finally letting up, which is nice just in time for Christmas. And we have a little trip coming up. So hopefully fingers crossed, we're all still healthy <laughs> at that point. Absolutely. How are your uh, nutrition protocols going? Really good. No changes there at all. Um, just continuing on with the same, same old, same old. Okay. Do you feel like you're progressing there? So like in terms of gut health? Yeah, I actually do. And I, I think I'm also getting better at just keeping consistently keeping fiber lower, choosing things that I know are digesting better. So that's a big part of it as well, along with the whole protocol that I'm doing. But um, I do feel like there's been improvement there for sure. Okay. Okay. And training more or less the same as well. Yeah. Still keeping it (laughs) three to five RIR on everything. So I'm really looking forward to pushing it. Yeah. I feel that that's what, where I feel like both of our weeks have more or less just been the same thing over and over for quite a while now where we're just wrapping up. I started my deload as of today. So I'm getting blood work done on Wednesday. Um, and then from there, we're again, hopefully going to be pushing a little bit harder going forward. So I'm excited to really kind of move things on, but, um, I know we don't have a ton of time here, so let's go ahead and get into the question. Sound good. Yeah, sounds good. Perfect. All right. First one I have is biggest blocks clients face with consistency and hitting their macros and how to overcome. And I'm going to push this one over to you. Okay. Um, yeah, I would say that one of the big obvious ones is meals out and weekends specifically. So, Mm -hmm. um, that, that one is just something where a lot of people haven't really learned how to fit meals out into their macros or on the flip side, just kind of, uh, organize their day so that that one meal out doesn't push them into a huge surplus. Right. Uh, so that one really stands out as like the most obvious one to me. And then aside from that, I think just not thinking ahead and pre-planning things, uh, pre-planning, like making a plan for the following day, the night before is something that I am constantly preaching to every client because it is just so helpful. It takes like five to 10 minutes, depending on how repetitive you are okay with being with your meals. And then you have a day planned out for the following day where you know what meals, what foods you need to have on hand, you know, what needs to be meal prepped, you know, exactly on like you're, you'll be exactly on point with your macros because you already have that planned out ahead of time. So right. what a lot of people do instead is plant track as they go throughout the day. And so they'll, you know, eat their breakfast, then think, okay, what did I eat for breakfast? I'm going to plug that in, then do the same thing for all the rest of their meals. And that 
it, you know, if you've been tracking for a very long time, you can kind of do that and get away with it and just put the last puzzle piece in with your dinner or something after dinner to like fill in the remainder of your macros. But for most people that have not been doing that, that's just a recipe for ending the day way off or having the weirdest meal for dinner because you have to fill in like 20 grams of fat or most likely like negative something grams of fat, hundred grams of protein, you know, like some weird combination of a meal where it doesn't make any sense. So those are the two biggest ones that I see. Um, I, I would also throw snacks in there is a big one, just like doing pretty well with, um, with the regular meals and then just snacking on things that add up to a pretty large amount of calories because they're calorie dense, like something like crackers is going to be high carb, high fat, and not really fill you up very well. And most snacks are like that. So, um, yeah, those are the big ones that I see. What about you? Yeah. I think the biggest one, similar to what you alluded to is just constantly playing macro Tetris, right? Where it's okay. Well, it sounds good for breakfast. I'm just going to eat this. I'll track it afterwards and kind of going out throughout your day to day like that, where there's no structure and it's just understanding no one people can get lean like that. You can do that for like eight to 12 weeks, but nobody that like maintains a lean healthy physique year round actually eats like that. Right. Where most people, at least 99.9% of people that maintain a lean physique year round don't eat like that. Where most people who do so have, Hey, across, like, this is typically what I eat for breakfast, right? They, they have their staple meals for breakfast, lunch, dinner. And then maybe it's like a couple times per week. We are playing more of like this game of macro Tetris. Maybe you want to go out for a date night. Maybe a random event comes up in the middle of the week. And part of the beauty of tracking macros is that you do have the freedom to do so. But I think when you're always doing that, tracking macros is so time consuming and it's straight up hard if you're just not going into your days with any type of structure. So I think that's the biggest thing is again, um, there just has to be more structure with how we are eating day to day. And it shouldn't look that for most people, I think like the majority of your meals shouldn't look that different day to day. Um, I think that's one of the biggest things. And similarly to what you said as well, kind of treating the weekends as something that's dramatically different than the weekdays, right? Where it's like, okay, normally Monday through Friday, this is what I eat, but Saturday, because it's Saturday, then I'm going to like get breakfast at Starbucks and I'm going to get lunch at Chipotle. And then I'm going to have like Chick-fil-A mid afternoon. And then, and again, this is more specific to fat loss, but as a whole, still, I think it's important to everything comes with trade-offs, right? Where I think it's easy to bullshit people like from a marketing perspective and just like, yeah, you can fit in all your favorite foods constantly. And because you're in our program, you'll see great results, but that's not the case, right? Like things have to change there and everything comes with trade-offs, right? So it's like, are we choosing the trade-off of, and it's not up to us to decide like how you feel best in your body, right? That's hundred percent, like where it is that you feel best, what you want to achieve. That's your decision. But if you're not there right now, and it is like, Hey, I feel uncomfortable in my clothes. Um, I can't perform the way I want in the gym or I don't have like the energy I want that on one end can like, if we look at that, that in itself is restriction or it can feel like, again, like I really like the post you had last week where I, you said like some element, I don't remember what it was about, but it was like some element of restriction is going to be required. Right. And that's the thing to understand here as well as like, there is going to have to be even like, cause Saturday and Sunday, 
especially Saturday is typically like the biggest stumbling block for most people, right? So it is going to have to typically be like we're looking at out of that, like Chipotle for lunch, that Starbucks for breakfast, the Chick-fil-A and whatever we had for dinner, like maybe like what's the one of those that you like it has the highest emotional value to you. And then maybe the rest of your day is like more or less the same. And we're probably going to have to like adjust your food intake down with lunch or maybe like pull out your snack to just like a protein source to make that work. So I really think it's kind of just looking at those things, but all of that basically comes down to just creating structure around it. Right. <laughs> I think that's, that's our answer. Summed up in a nutshell. Do you have anything else to add there? No, I don't think so. Okay, absolutely. So next question I had was, is there a certain body fat percentage at which you'd recommend cutting to first before bulking? So this is something that we've talked about a decent amount in the past with Brandon DeCruz, but really like this, Hey, do I need to be at a specific body fat percentage before I start like a building phase? Um, it kind of comes down to this idea of a P ratio or a partitioning ratio, which is how well you partition nutrients into muscle versus fat tissue. So like, if we're talking about building muscle, this concept basically explains, um, the ratio of muscle gain to fat gain. So if someone had a high P ratio, that would mean like, let's say in your building phase and you gained, um, a pound, then like if a high P ratio, like 0.8.9 of that pound is from muscle. And then only like 0.1 to 0.2 of that pound is fat, right? That would be a great P ratio where we're partitioning a lot more of the calories that we're gained, the calories that we're taking in to muscle tissue versus fat tissue. And of course, like a low P ratio is the opposite where, um, we are gaining much more fat tissue than muscle tissue. So of course, like in a building phase, what we want to see is a lot more muscle gained than body fat gained. Right. So the idea of like one of the key concepts with P ratio, one of the main thought processes out there is that typically the numbers, numbers you'll hear thrown out there are women between about 20 and 25% body fat and men between about 10 to 15% body fat will have the best P ratios, right? When we're within those body fat ranges, that's where we can most productively add muscle tissue and without adding any, like with keeping fat gain to a minimum, which is what everyone wants. But outside of those ranges below or above, then we will gain um, will likely start shifting to this area where we are gaining more body fat than muscle mass per every pound that we gain. So it might make sense to get leaner before we go back into a building phase um, in order to kind of make, again, these lean gains. Now, there are going to be a lot of variables here. Like I don't, I wouldn't be too married to that man at 10 to 15% body fat, women at 20 to 25% body fat, because again, there are going to be a lot of variables here. Like first, this kind of comes down to, uh, there's going to be a lot of factors basically that impact how well we partition nutrients, right? Like your training is going to be a very important variable of here. Training increases glucose uptake to the muscle, even without insulin. So basically it lowers our body's need for insulin and we will still send more muscle or more of a carbohydrate specifically that we take in to a muscle cell after we train. So like your training is an important variable here. Also your training age is going to be an important variable also. Or not, I would say not necessarily training. A, I don't want to like, look at this as just like, Hey, I've been training for five years. Thus I have a poor P ratio because a lot of people have been training for five years, but haven't done it in an effective manner. So like how long you've been training in a very smart manner 
is an important variable here as well, because like, as you get more advanced, as you add more muscle tissue as a natural trainee, at least, unfortunately, your P ratio will just get worse, right? We just won't be able to gain quite as much muscle quite as quickly as if you were brand new to this, your P ratio will get a little bit worse. Um, but I mean, on a similar note, your current level of lean muscle will also make a big difference in basically how insulin sensitive you are, because again, we can kind of look at muscle as a sink for glucose or carbs. So your muscle is more likely to soak up more of the calories that we take in. Um, and then your body fat percentage does really play again, a large role here as well. So basically if you have too much body fat, especially think visceral fat or fat stored around your organs, we're probably going to see lower insulin sensitivity and potentially, and of course, like alongside that, an increase in insulin resistance. So basically, again, when we're looking at like, does the food that I take in, do these carbs that I take in, are they sent to the muscle cell or do they get converted to triglycerides and their stores fat? Um, the more insulin sensitive we are, again, the better basically our nutrient partitioning is going to be. So um, for kind of to throw general numbers out there, for most men, like this higher level insulin resistance typically starts when we're going to be a, a bit above 20% body fat. So right around or above 20% body fat. And for women, it is going to be at or above about 30% body fat. Now also understand here, um, we're very much speaking in generalities, right? But the thing to understand is like, yes, to have the most productive building phase possible, we probably do want to be in a reasonable body fat percentage. So to kind of sum up this very long tangent, um, I would say for most men between about 18 to eight to 15% body fat, you're probably in a good phase. You're probably in a good place to enter a building phase. Um, once we get closer to about 18 to 20% body fat, again, speaking very much in generalities here, um, we're probably in a place where it might make sense to get a little bit leaner before we push for a building phase. And for most women, um, somewhere around 18 to 25, maybe 26% body fat, they're likely in a good position to enter a building phase. But if we're too, well, like in that 26 to 30 range or above 30%, probably would want to start with a fat loss phase before we enter a mini cut. Um, that said, a couple, a couple of caveats to that first, again, especially considering your training history, you can still build muscle when we're in our fat loss phase, right? Like so many clients start the process where, Hey, maybe my long-term goal is to build muscle, but short-term yeah, for your overall metabolic health, for the best nutrient partitioning, we might need in her fat loss phase, but so many people still are able to build muscle during that time. Um, women are also less likely to add visceral body fat and have better metabolic health at higher body fat percentages. So again, women can typically push body fat a little bit higher and still have productive building phases. Um, but again, within that, it is something that is going to vary tremendously. So really, I don't know. Those are kind of my thoughts. It's going to vary a lot person to person. Um, Brandon and I recorded a whole podcast on this, which is called, I believe it's called, should you cut or build P ratio explained? And I like, I, took notes on that podcast when we did it. And that's very much based on how I explained this now. So probably credit to Brandon for a lot of these ideas, but very much like what we're looking for with clients is, um, really, are you feeling lethargic, especially after you eat, are your pumps really starting to deteriorate or suffer in the gym? 
And is your facet blood glucose, like are your facet blood glucose levels consistently increasing? Um, if you're getting blood work, we're looking at things like your insulin levels, HbA1c, things of that nature. But so really, again, like it can depend on, there will be some person-to-person variability. I don't want it to be too married to like, again, like above 30% body fat for women, above 20% for men. So again, looking at like, are you feeling lethargic, especially after meals? where your fasted blood glucose is. If you are consistently looking at your fasted blood glucose and there again, like when we're creeping into like the 90, 95, definitely like a hundred plus range, that might be a good sign. Maybe we need to cut some body fat. There's again, so many other factors there to go into. I don't want to just throw that out as a blanket statement. And again, like what the quality of your pumps are like in the gym, are those really deteriorating? What are your thoughts on all that? (laughs) Yeah. Um, I don't know how much I have to add to all that, but I will say since we don't usually have clients take their body fat percentage, because a lot of that is going to be inaccurate. What I'll usually go off of whenever talking someone through this is how comfortable are you in your body right now? Because if we go into a gaining phase, part of that is adding some body fat along with adding muscle. So are you in a position right now where you're comfortable with doing that? And usually if someone is in that range where they are going to be, where they're lean enough, where it's, they're going to have a good P ratio, they're already in that place where they're more comfortable with their body. Mm -hmm. And if they're outside of that range, if they're above that range, they're usually wanting to start with a cut anyway. So, um, I, I really like just that really simple, picture that probably most everyone has seen where it's like 5%, 10, 15%. Yeah. And it just gives you like a figure, like a cartoon figure to sort of estimate. Now everyone stores body fat a little bit different, but that's a really good proxy for about where you're at. And because if you're taking like the in-body scan or um, just like the BEI machine or something like that, you're going to get a pretty inaccurate result based on a lot of different factors. So usually just talking it through with clients, that's they'll, they'll kind of decide that for themselves based on how comfortable they are. Yeah. On the initial call, that's a question I ask often because for a lot of individuals, we will determine, Hey, the net, the best place for you to start might be a building phase, but are you okay with not losing any body fat or potentially getting a little bit fluffier for at least the next six to eight months? And I think that in itself is like, because we also, again, have to look at the psychological, right. Alongside the physiological. So that, that, that is a, that's a great insight. Um, I don't think I have anything else to add there. You want me cool. to the next question? Yeah, what you got for me? All right. We've heard a ton about Jeremiah's goals and progress lately. What <laughs> are yours? The world needs to know. <laughs> Let's so, hear it. What I said to her was, I will answer this, but it's so boring. <laughs> That's why I kind of have a, why I've been like very vague about it. And also with like functional health stuff, I don't know how helpful it is because I really don't like for people to hear things and go, oh, there's probably something wrong with me. And that's, you know, yeah. anyway, so I've been sort of intentionally vague about it, but what I'm doing right now is working with a coach who is more geared toward functional health improvement. So I had some labs taken. Thyroid was low. Um, estrogen was fairly low, but I was relatively estrogen dominant because I had basically no progesterone and very little testosterone. So we've just been working on keeping the intensity in training really low. 
And with food, we, we essentially did like a somewhat of a, not, I wouldn't even say a reverse diet, but I started food low just to make sure I wasn't gaining weight just because with mm-hmm. thyroid low and, and sex hormones low, I, if I go straight to what should be a, a maintenance amount, I will just put on weight. <laughs> so we started food out low and we've worked that up in just like jumps up over time. And then, so that combined with some specific supplements and a more targeted diet, we've just been working on those issues. So my diet has been a lot more digestion friendly. So lots of rice, lots of other rice products, um, lower FODMAP vegetables, and then some, also some supplements to improve digestion. My digestion is actually not that bad, but I just always have like a present distension, like even whenever I wake up in the morning. So it doesn't like feel like anything, but it just, it doesn't look like it maybe should look. (laughs) And so, um, some targeted supplements for that. And with all of that, the, through the improvement of gut health also facilitates improvement of hormones, because if you are digesting things better, you're going to assimilate nutrients better. And so those nutrients that I'm taking in, I'll be able to absorb and those go to improving hormones also. So it kind of all works together. And I really wish I was working toward like (laughs) a photo shoot or building muscle or something, but this is sort of like setting up that foundation so that I can go into those things again later on. So fairly boring, but that's what I've been doing. So with the improvements in digestion, is it, and it could very well just be both, but is it rather like, Hey, maybe you are missing something essential to like help you ovulate and then in turn, like have more progesterone. Um, or is it a matter of, we don't think your body's detoxifying estrogen well enough and we need to improve this process. Is it like one or the other there as far as what so you guys are chasing? We really, we kind of just started in on both things at the same time. I think gotcha. that it can go either direction. So if you address both, you kind of solve for that, uh, whichever way it's stemming from. So um, we have some gut health supplements in place, just things like glutamine that will improve the gut health or the um, intestinal lining, um, some other supplements to uh, reduce any potential like overgrowth of negative bacteria. And then also things like Chaseberry, which I don't, I'm not actually taking anymore, but Chaseberry is really good. I was going to ask about that. Yeah. I took a really strong dose of Chaseberry for a while. And then that actually improved on that second set of labs that I took. And so we dropped that out and, um, then like a testosterone booster, which is really funny to me that I'm taking a test booster. Um, and just like some specific things for, liver, like you mentioned detoxification. So mm-hmm. N-acetylcysteine is good for liver health and that improves detoxification in that way. So I have that in place. It's really a lot of supplements, but it's, they're all for a specific purpose. And then we'll kind of phase those out as they, as I don't need them anymore. Okay. Absolutely. Um, I feel like you're in an interesting place where even like, as the listeners may know, it is just something that also takes a long time, right? I think things like that are so much harder to look at tangibly than like fat loss, right? Or even like between a round of labs, it might be like three months, right? Probably at least three months between like different rounds of labs. And then you're looking for, but you won't, 
to an extent, yes, you can feel it, but you might not necessarily know like, oh, wow, my progesterone's higher versus like where it was at this time last cycle or whatever it may be. Uh, so you're saying if anyone has SIBO, <laughs> coach for them. I, I can help, but it's not my specialty. So <laughs> uh, we can talk about it. So then long-term, once you get this resolved, what do you want to take on next? Have you thought about that? It's- Man, you guys going through your photo shoot preps have me itching to do that again, but that is <laughs> I feel like always- you just finished. Hit what? Oh, you feel feel like like you just finished your photo shoot prep. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, it's been over a year ago, which I mean, that's a short amount of time whenever you think about getting back to maintenance and then building and then cutting again. So I don't realistically want to do one anytime in the next few months, but I, I really just want to be able to work towards something. (laughs) You know what I mean? I really would like to like, I'm okay with either way. If I am cutting for a while, great. If I'm building muscle, I'm good with that. I just like to make progress. And it feels like, even though I definitely am making progress, it's not in the, it's not physique progress, which I love to work on. So it, I know it's important though. Yeah. But I I also think it's helpful because how many clients do you think you've had a similar conversation to this with in like the last month? Probably quite a few. I know we were just talking about that, but on our team call before this, at least. Yeah. So yeah, it's something that nobody wants to work on, but it's also like, if I were just to continue to try and push and diet, I would be essentially spinning my wheels. Right. Same thing with building muscle because both of those things put stress on your body and stress is sort of the root cause of everything, whether that's stress from dieting or overeating or, you know, not sleeping well, whatever it is that it's all forms of stress on your body, which can cause those sort of inconsistencies in lab work that we're seeing with myself. So I, I have a theory that it's probably from an accumulation of like long distance running earlier on in my life, never really feeding myself as much as I should. And then um, just like always pushing really hard in some direction physique wise and never taking this time to really just build the foundation. So I think it finally just was something that I needed to address. And once I have addressed this, whether it's like, it, I'm it'll be at least like, a year that I will have worked on this. And then once I work on this and have just kind of let myself chill for a while, (laughs) then I'll be able to push in one direction or the other and actually see faster progress. And once I look like five years from now, once I look back, it'll be like, oh yeah, that time spent building the foundation was so worth it because since that point, I've been able to make such, such greater progress because of it. Right. It's like you made faster progress over that five-year span than you would have, but it yeah. took being okay with feeling like you were making progress for a year. Yeah. Again, I think like the more we coach and the longer we've been in this, the more we see just more and more people need to take time to not yet enter a fat loss phase. Like I know when I first started coaching, it was everybody like, you want to lose fat? All right, cool. We're going to hop right into a deficit or whatever it may be. But again, like focusing on health, getting your body in the healthiest position. So it'll respond as well as possible to whatever we put in front of it. Like that is 
such an important factor within all of this. And I think that's, I really, really like how you lay that out where a year is a long time, but again, it's like in five years looking at like how much further ahead am I because of that? And I think so many people get in their own way because they're not willing to like, well, shit, like, and is a year an over-exaggeration for what a lot of people might need? Maybe for some, maybe not. Probably so, but I've already been with my coach for six months. I just signed up for another six months. I know that for a good majority of that time, this is what we're going to be working on. So I don't think it's an over-exaggeration for my specific timeline, but I think for most people, it's like, okay, we just need to go through a health phase for three to six months. And right work on something specific and that will be it. But so, yeah, I think for most people, that's probably an over-exaggeration, but I also pushed it a bit too hard for like 15 straight years without considering any of that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm really interested to see how this pans out. And that's like, I know like when you started coach with me, we had to get you very aggressive. Was that in 2018? For a really long time. Uh, 2019. Uh, 18 or 19, maybe 19. It's crazy to think about that too, because I feel like I knew nothing then. I wish that I would have had a much better grasp on all of that because I, and I know like, even like after we were done working together and you were like at maintenance, like you messaging me about like your difficulty with like maintaining on what seems like a reasonable amount to maintain on. I was like, I don't know. It's, mm-hmm. it's interesting to kind of see the evolution of all of that. Um, anything else to add there? I don't think so. <laughs> cool um i think that's a good insight though i kind of i think it's helpful for people to hear more about kind of what you've been going through and working on i can also understand and appreciate the reservation with talking about it because i also think it's very easy to like well is this like i think it's very easy to like self-diagnose when you hear things like this but that's definitely something that i would caution the listeners of but okay cool um Next up I have, but why is Natalie so cool? (laughs) Um, I'm going to let you take this one as well. I I think it's the Crocs. (laughs) It's definitely the Crocs. I don't know anyone that has a larger collection of Crocs or just like ridiculous apparel. Like uh, today on our team call, she was wearing the, like, it's a picture of Willie Nelson with like a giant American (laughs) flag behind him. I don't know as like a Willie for president shirt or something. No, Natalie is, um, Natalie, you are the bomb. You're super jacked and you have an incredible entire. Um, do you have anything else to add to that one? I, we could go on and on. So, oh, yeah. Generally, <laughs> though, it does make me so happy to. I feel like all the like little weird things about Natalie also like she builds such good relationships with everyone, with her clients, and with our team, also, where it's like, you have cinnamon toast, <laughs> you have cinnamon toast crunch crocs. Like it's it's so funny, but also like it makes me so happy to see like genuinely like the level of relationships that she builds with her clients. Because then I feel like that, like I feel like people with Natalie feel very comfortable like bringing up the like weird things about them that they're doing. Like I I don't I haven't even gotten back to it yet, but I saw like Casey shout out to shout out to Casey. Um one of Natalie's clients just tagged me in something about like her dancing in the gym in between sets. And it's I it's something to do with Natalie as well. But just like I feel like there's like it's cool that that allows like her clients to I feel like they build such good rapport and like such good relationship around that. 
Um, and that definitely carries over very well to how well our clients do. So Natalie, you are the bomb. Um, I don't think I have anything else to add there. All right. Next up I have help with maintenance. I've gained 10 pounds this year while trying to maintain. Um, yeah. So within this, so if we gain 10 pounds, we'll try to maintain We're of course not accomplishing the goal of maintaining. So we can assume, Hey, we probably have been in a calorie deficit for, and I would also, again, look at, I don't know. I think it's important there to first look at like, how did your body composition actually change, right? Looking past the scale, how are your clothes fitting? Did you see yourself get a lot stronger, right? Are you hitting PRs at the gym? Like even looking at progress pictures, because the reality is, and I don't 10 pounds of muscle in a year. If we're not like being very intentional about it, even if we are being intentional about it, 10 pounds of muscle in a year is a lot. Right. Um, but understanding, like depending on what you've been doing, if you've been like feeding yourself more for the first time in a long time and training in a smart manner, then some of that could be muscle tissue that we've added. So first I would look at like, look past the scale again, have I built muscle within this process as well? Um, and man, then past that, I think it's looking to, again, uh, one of the hardest ideas we were just talking about this on our call is the heart. One of the hardest ideas I think to grasp is similar to what we talked about at the start of this as well. Like maintenance itself is something that still takes effort, right? I think it's easy to look at it as like, I'm going to take on a 12 week diet. I'm going to grind it out. And then I can like, I achieve the thing. So I can kind of go back to doing what I was doing before. Right. Where the reality is like, yes, at maintenance, we do have more room for, we do have more calories. We can eat a lot more to maintain than what it takes for us to lose. But it, there is still some element of moderation and restriction. And we still are going to have to like say no to things sometimes or say no to things in the quantity that we want to eat them a lot of times. Right. It's not just like an effortless thing by any means. So especially that first, like after your first successful fat loss phase, I think that first kind of like reverse diet period and maintenance period is kind of the hardest where I, I tell clients all the time, like, Hey, I expect you to not be perfect this time. I expect you to like struggle occasionally and like fall off a couple times through, or like have not fall, fall off. It's not the right word, but like have a couple off days here where that's just a normal part of the process. You understand, like, what does my lifestyle look like to maintain, but also understanding again, like, how flexible can I be? How much like planning is still required, right? As we discussed before, like even at maintenance still, we're probably not going to be able to do that very well if we're constantly just playing macro Tetris, right? So I think it's basically looking at if you like what elements of your, what elements of what got you to like the point where you wanted to, ma to maintain, have you kept in place, right? So if we have like some form of tracking your food and again, when, if you got there tracking food, there might be a time where eventually you want to transition away from tracking, but understand like that is a slow process. And it's very rare that people could just like go cold Turkey and maintain well. So like, is that still in place? If we're looking at like a daily step count, what does that look like? Has that stay consistent? Um, are we still continuing to train on a consistent basis? But I think it's again, looking at just like what variables have you kept in place and also for most people, like uh, 10 pounds isn't for everyone, 10 pounds isn't just going to come on overnight, right? So, we do still also need to look at like one of the attributes that most people who may successfully maintain weight loss have in common is they do still have these forms of accountability, like typically hopping on the scale consistently, right? Where that in itself is like, I know for 
this is even something that I have had to catch myself with a lot in the past where it's like, okay, my fat loss phase is over. And now like I'm in a building phase or a maintenance phase. And it's like, uh, I went a little bit hard at dinner. I'm not going to step on the scale the next morning. Right. And then it turns into like, well, I could be retaining water weight. So it's like three days, four days, whatever it is. I think it's still important to like hold yourself accountable with metrics like that as well. It doesn't necessarily even have to be like body measurements, but I would scale weight. I would keep track of that on a consistent basis, at least three times a week. So you can see how things are trending. Right. And that'll tell us, do we need to adjust calories or not and progress pictures as well. But what are your thoughts on that? I, the first thing that came to my mind was uh, of course, like calories are obviously above and beyond the maintenance point right now. And is that because you are maintaining over, over the week and then going over on the weekends? Um, you know, was there just not enough structure in place, as you mentioned, where we really just need to still practice a lot of those forms of restriction as we did in the fat loss phase? Um, you know, did movement drop off pretty quickly afterward? Cause you were adding all, all this cardio for fat loss and then, you know, with maintenance think, okay, let's just drop that right off. This is why the reverse diet period can be so helpful for a lot of people because it eases you back in. It's not necessarily that there's any magic in it in increasing your metabolism, but it lets food come back up at the same pace as you are recovering your metabolic rate and also maintaining those habits and not just letting them all go at the same time. So I think that there are just a lot more questions that I would want to ask. And then after all of those checkboxes have been checked, that's where you would want to look into something like blood work. Like we mentioned before, it's not something that I will usually dive into right away because I don't want someone to think they're broken and that's what's going on. 99 plus percent of the time, it's something that we've already mentioned here, like the steps, the calories, um, habits and things like that. So those definitely need to be in place first, but I also know that there is a place sometimes for checking into your lab work and seeing what's going on there just to be sure that everything there's looking good. Absolutely. I don't think I have anything else to add there. Uh, did you have any other questions? Nope. Cool. All right. Well, that is all we have for y'all for today. As always, thank you for tuning in and we will catch you guys next time.